Thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message encourages you, equips you, and inspires you as you continue to daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. God bless you. We're going to jump right in. So pull your Bibles out. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're not wasting any time this morning. Uh, We're going to read verses... Uh, one through seven uh, together. And uh, you all ready? No? How about now? I'm moving quick today, okay? I got fans on me. I'm not stalling. We're ready to go. Okay. I say that now. Wait until after the message. (laughs) You good? Got it? All right, let's stand. Let's stand to our feet as we read the word of God together. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and I, and I know uh, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Revelation was written a long time ago, but it is still very applicable to our day and age today still relevant because it's your word. Your word is unchanging. It, 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 it is powerful, active. It is alive. And Lord, we need your word. God, we want to be people who are on fire for Jesus, who are passionate about following you. And Lord, if it takes you ruffling our feathers a little bit to get us uncomfortable in our, in our walks, Lord, maybe we've gotten too comfortable with following you. Lord, help us to to get out, of a, get out of the place that we're in where we're just taking our relationship with you for granted. Jesus, you saved us. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to love you with all we are, all we have. And so, Lord, as we continue our study through Revelation, God, I pray that you would just minister to our hearts. Help us not to refuse it or to reject the ministry that you have uh, for us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the voice of your spirit this morning. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So in Revelation chapter 1, 
um, John gets this vision of Jesus, and Jesus is uh, in this vision unlike any painting we might have seen in our lives. It's not Jesus with the beard, it's not Jesus with the lamb over his shoulders, it's not Jesus with the staff, it's Jesus in all of his glory, and the way that John describes Jesus is absolutely stunning. He says in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1, he says, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. This is Jesus. This is who John is talking about. This is who John just had a vision of. You remember in John, Revelation chapter 1, uh, John hears this voice like a trumpet. It grabs his attention, and John turns, and upon turning, he doesn't see Jesus right off the bat. He sees the golden lampstands, right? But then as he's looking at these lampstands, soon he sees Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. Listen, uh, Jesus is close to his church. He is in the middle of his church. He is in the thick of it all with his church. But then John sees Jesus in all of his glory. He says the hairs of his head were white, Uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 actually alludes to this as well in the description that Daniel has, the vision of Jesus that Daniel has. He says the hair of his head uh, was like pure wool. It it, it was white. It was stunning. Speaking of his purity and his wisdom, and John is saying, listen, uh, his his hair, it's not just hair that we're looking at, but it represents his, his wisdom and his purity. He says his eyes were like a flame of fire. In Scripture, when we come across fire, it is often associated with judgment. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? What did God rain down? Fire and sulfur, right? He wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. John goes on to say his feet were like burnished bronze. If you think about soldiers and their shoes, if they were not well-fitting, their shoes, if they were torn up in battle, it would hinder their ability to wage war. Right? You know how it is when you have a blister on the back of your heel and it's incredibly hard to walk. Or you stub your toe because your sandals aren't, your feet are too big for your sandals. Uh, <laughs> but their feet would get torn up in battle. And here Jesus, his feet are described as being bronze, pointing to the fact that no one can crush him. No one can dismantle Jesus. He is, he is perfect. He is strong. He is able But I love this part. Uh, John hears his voice. Uh, Growing up, I I grew up at the the beach, not too far away from the beach, and there would be days where you could hear the waves just crash on the shore, and it would grab your attention so much so that you had to go look at these waves, and these waves would be massive. But John is saying, listen, the the voice, his voice was so uh, mighty and powerful it grabbed my, my attention. For, for some of us today, quite frankly, his voice is not our priority. And it shows by how much we are in the word of God. I've been in this place, you may be in this place, or you may have been in this place, but we get to this point where we've been praying and praying and praying, and we ask the question, Lord, why don't you speak to me? He has. He has spoken through his word, and so often we're looking for God to throw some fireworks up in the sky or, or to have a large, uh, I don't know why this is coming 
to mind an alligator across our path or some off-the-wall type thing. And it's like, okay, God, if you do this, then... But listen, God has already done something through the word. We just need to open it. And John continues on with his voice in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. He says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, remember, scripture in Scripture, the Bible is associated with a two-edged sword. Uh, he's got the word of God spewing out of his mouth. John says his face was like the sun shining in full strength. John is ultimately referring to his glory. Uh, you remember we talked about last week how uh, the first coming of Jesus, his, his glory was veiled. He was born uh, in the most natural way possible. He was placed in a feeding trough and nobody would have suspected that this little baby boy was the son of God except for a handful of people. See, his first coming was veiled, but his second coming is unveiled. All, all eyes will see him, even those who pierced him, Scripture says. And listen to John's response as John sees this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. If you had a vision like John had of Jesus, friend, you would do the same thing. You would fall at his feet as though you were dead. But I love this next part because it says, but he laid his right hand on me. So picture this. John is on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled because of the proclamation of the gospel. Domitian hates his guts and he's just saying, you know what, we got to get rid of this guy. Remember first they tried boiling him in oil and that didn't work. I don't know how that didn't work, uh, but it didn't work. And so he gets exiled to Patmos thinking, well, that'll surely get rid of this guy. Uh, And and so you can imagine the sight that John sees thinking that, man, I'm just going to be maybe here by myself. But Jesus shows up. Jesus comes and places his hand, his right hand on John saying this, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, listen to this, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen? It gets better. And I have the keys of death in Hades. Listen, even in the midst of judgment, because Revelation is primarily a book on judgment, right? What is to come? Uh, Even in the midst of that, Jesus commands John and even the persecuted church, because John will write on behalf of Jesus to this church, he commands John not to be afraid. He says, listen, I know you're exiled right now. I know you're on this island all by yourself. I know the churches are being persecuted. Domitian wants nothing to do with Christ. He wants nothing to do with you proclaiming the word of God. But listen, do not be afraid. And the reason why he shouldn't be afraid was because of Jesus' next response. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold... I am alive forevermore. The reason why John should not be afraid is because Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is in control. He is alive forevermore. He holds the keys of death and Hades, ultimately telling John this, when I resurrected, I put death in its place. He says, I am the conquering lion who has come back to put things in order. David Guzik uh, comments on this in regards to Jesus holding or having the keys of death in Hades. He says this, he says, some imagine that the devil is somehow the Lord of hell. Some imagine that the devil has authority to 
or power, excuse me, to determine life or death. Clearly they are wrong, for only Jesus holds the keys of Hades and of death. And we can trust that Jesus never lets the devil borrow the keys. Amen? Jesus is in control. Jesus is sovereign, not the devil. Listen, the devil knows that his end is near. Jesus is in control. Listen, if you give him control of your life today, and you submit to him as Lord and Savior, listen, your eternity is sealed. Listen, you can have the assurance that when you die, you are no longer headed to hell, but because of you placing your faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, your eternal address changes from hell to heaven. Verse 19, now we got to get a hold on, on this verse because this is a very crucial verse as we study through Revelation Uh, It's the key, so to speak, to unlocking Revelation. Uh, Verse 19, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Listen, if we don't get this verse, Revelation will be very confusing to some of us. John is instructed to write the things you have seen. What did John see so far? Well, he, he saw a vision of Jesus. Uh, Jesus met him on the island of Patmos, and, and so he writes about that. John is instructed to write uh, those that are, those that are currently happening. In John's context, persecution was at an all-time high. And the churches were risking their lives by standing firm for Christ and in Christ. I, I think sometimes, like I've mentioned before, that we don't even have the slightest clue of what persecution really is. Uh, In our states, we don't know what it's like to be persecuted. For many of us, persecution is when somebody unfriends you on Facebook, and then you're all uh, all offended, and you're like, oh, it must have been because I shared a a verse. No, probably because you shared too many cat videos on Facebook. (laughs) But we don't know what persecution is like. And so John, writing to the seven churches, lets them know, hey, we have some things to address We have some things to address in regards to your stance while you're going through persecution. Because listen, persecution is hard. Persecution is not easy. Persecution is not something that we have on the top of our list of things that we want to do before we die. But listen, being persecuted persecuted for Christ, it's well worth it. Listen, I, I, I know persecution is not as intense where we're at, but can I tell you something? There will be a day where we will experience persecution. It's coming. And we must be prepared. We must be ready. And so my prayer for this, these next chapters, as we look at uh, the letters to these seven churches, is that These next chapters will cause you and I to take a spiritual inventory of our life. Where are you with Jesus? If you're lukewarm, do you remember what Jesus says about lukewarmness? He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I would wish that you were either cold or hot, but if you're lukewarm, I don't want anything to do with you. That's kind of harsh, but it's the reality. Listen, you're either on fire for the Lord or you're not. You cannot be in the middle. My prayer is that this would cause us, as a local congregation, as a local community church, it would cause us to wake up. 
It would cause us to, to open our eyes to see what God is doing in our midst, what God is doing in our community. Listen, we have a whole community uh, right next door to us uh, that is a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with people. But you know what happens is that we let fear creep in. Well, well what if they are offended with the gospel that I shared? That's the point. The gospel is offensive. Our job is to share the gospel because at some point your neighbor needs to know that without Jesus, there is no hope. But with Jesus, listen, there is eternity to look forward to. There is paradise to look forward to. And it's only paradise because Jesus is there. And he says to John, write those that are to take place after this. John would be instructed to write about those things that would happen after the church period is over. The church age is over. Currently, we are living in the church age. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. When he comes back, he is coming back for guess who? His church. He is coming back for his bride, his blood-bought bride. And I hope you are a part of that. You may have convinced yourself so much that you are, but in your heart... You're not living like a Christian. You're not walking like a believer. Listen, it's okay to have head knowledge of what Christ has done for you, but don't let it stay up there. But he's coming back for his church. And once we're taken, John uh, gives us insight into the things that will happen. I personally believe that when John starts to write those things that are to take place, that the church will not have to endure any of this. Uh, Just read Revelation. And you'll be thankful if, uh, if you're certain that Jesus is coming back for you before all this. Trust me, you'll be thankful. Verse 20. Now, John sees the stars, the seven stars. He sees the golden lampstands. And Jesus, uh, it's no guessing game. Jesus is saying, okay, here you go. This is what it means in verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, okay? He says, the seven golden lampstands. So he's got two things that he's pinpointing right here. He says, the seven stars are the seven angels. Okay, you tracking with me? The seven stars are the who? Good job. Of the seven churches. The seven lampstands, the golden lampstands, are the seven churches. So who are the seven golden lampstands? Good job. Seven stars are? Okay. Got your Bibles, right? Jesus gives us the answer right there. So, I mean, you can cheat in church. Anyways. But the vision is explained here. He, he tells John exactly what the vision symbolizes, what it represents. There's, there's nothing confusing about this. John sees this. Jesus tells him what it is. That's it. The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches, but notice, right, who is in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Did you catch that? The Son of Man, Jesus, right? Jesus is not distant from his bride. He is not far off from his bride, as some would think. The vision that John received was Jesus right in the middle of these golden seven lampstands. And this is ultimately... uh, the desire that every church should have, but listen, the desire that I have for our church here is this, not to be known for our worship, 
Not to be known for how well we do outreach, not to be known for how good our live stream is, not to be known for how excellent our kids' ministry is, not to be known for the preacher or the teacher or the personality of that person, not to be known for the building we are in. I want us to be known as a church that has Jesus in the center of it all. If Jesus is not in the midst of this church, listen, we need to close our doors. I want this place to be a place where Jesus' name is mentioned in every corner of this campus. Where Jesus is the focal point of all that we do. Listen, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the worship team. Listen, if we can't get that one thing right as a church, we're in trouble. Listen, if it's not all about Jesus in this place, then we need to close our doors. For if we attempt to do anything without Jesus, it will fail. Jesus needs to be in the midst of this lampstand, so to speak. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Uh, Angel, if you're familiar with uh, Greek, Um, In Greek, it just means messenger, right? Or this can refer to a human messenger or someone who announces or tells. Uh, Some people believe that each church has their own angel. I don't believe that. Uh, What I believe is that the angels represent the pastors of the church. Uh, Notice the position of the angels, though. Where are the angels at? His right hand. Listen, in Jesus' right hand are those seven angels, those seven pastors. Uh, and this honestly is a call, to, uh, call out to anybody who is a pastor, who aspires to be in ministry. Listen, if you are not positioned in Christ, get out of ministry. You need to be in Jesus. If you're not in Christ, you will be so ineffective You will just be doing things for the sake of doing things. If you are not in Christ, ministry uh, doesn't really exist. If I, as your pastor, position myself anywhere else, I become ineffective. I become ineffective because I'm not submitting to the strength and authority of Christ. The only authority that I have as a pastor is the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority, not mine, the Word of God. He has the final say. So, with that understanding of who the seven angels are and the seven golden lampstands, let's look into Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Now, remember how many churches are there? Seven. Nicely done. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. So our first church that we're looking at is Ephesus. He says this, To the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So as we go through these seven churches, we will always see some type of salutation or aka greeting, right? We'll always see some type of commendation, church you're doing this really well, but then we'll always see some type of rebuke because guess what? Church is made up of flawed people, and whenever you get flawed people together, there's a big mess, and things don't always go right. 
but we'll always see some type of remedy. Jesus doesn't just rebuke the church and say, now go figure it out for yourself. He says, no, now here's the remedy to how to correct your failing. And then we'll see sometimes another uh, commendation for their acts. And then we'll see kind of a, uh, a farewell greeting, uh, if you will. And the farewell greeting is not what you're thinking. It's actually a consequence to them not repenting of the wrong that Jesus is pointing out. Uh, so in verse 1, we see that this letter was written to the church in Ephesus. Now the founding of the church can be found uh, in Acts chapter 18. Uh, and the history can be traced throughout uh, the book of Acts. But then we get to Revelation, and really we see more so the rebuke of the church. Now, we have to understand that uh, this, was, this letter was primarily written to the pastor to read to the church. So, if I received a letter from the Apostle John that said, Hey, you're doing this really well, but you're horrible at that, I'd be alarmed. I would listen up because John, uh, Jesus actually, uh, hold on a second. You got red letters in your Bible in chapter two. All of it is red letter. Do you see that? That's Jesus. Jesus is speaking. So yes, John is an important character, but when Jesus speaks, listen. (laughs) And so some facts uh, on Ephesus. Uh, The word Ephesus means desirable. Uh, everyone, everybody wanted to live here. Why? Well, because it was the center of travel and commerce. It was located on the Aegean Sea at the mouth of uh, the Caister River. It was one of the greatest seaports of the ancient world. Uh, needless to say, Ephesus was a major city. And within this major city was a church. Tradition says, and I love this, that uh, Ephesus would have become the home of John the Apostle. Uh, Which was also, if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he looks to John, and he looks to his mother, and he tells John that his responsibility is to take care of his mother, which Ephesus would have been the home of Mary, Jesus' mother as well. Uh, John would end up dying at an old age, finally released from Patmos, but tradition tells us that John would be carried in to the assembly at Ephesus to give one last admonishment to the members. How awesome is that? John would be carried in saying, guys, listen, listen, let's make sure we're focusing on Jesus. Let's make sure that we're making Jesus our priority in this place because if we don't, there's great danger. There are consequences awaiting us if we're not careful to make Jesus the centerpiece of everything that we do here. So who's receiving this letter? Well, like I mentioned, the pastor of the church in Ephesus uh, would have received this letter to read aloud to the church. And who is the message from? Now, this is a no-brainer, really. Uh, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. There's only one who holds the seven golden lampstands and one who holds the seven stars, and his name is Jesus. A reminder, ultimately, of who is really in control of the church. Now, uh, throughout the history of the church, there have been uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of bully pastors, let's just put it that way, uh, thinking that they're the final authority, that they have the final say, that they can uh, you know, do, what, do whatever it is, whatever they want. They can, uh, it gets ugly, very ugly. 
But I think that's only because they've forgotten that they're not the ones in control. Jesus is. And if there's ever a person up here who starts dominating and starts barking orders like nobody's business, it's time to get that person out. Jesus walks among the church. I love that. He walks in the midst of the church. He walks among the church. And this is pointing once again to his closeness to his bride. In verse 2 to 3, it says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So, we see the salutation, right? The greeting to, to him or from him who holds uh, the seven stars in his right hand. We see that the greeting is from Jesus. The com- commendation uh, or in other words, this is what you're doing well is this, your works. You're doing so well at working. Like everything you do in the church, every, every service project you do, you're doing really good. And by your works, you're demonstrating, yeah, that your, your faith is in me. See, you're a serving church. You're a sacrificing church. You're a patiently enduring church. He, he says, you're doing all these, these things well. He says, even your stance against evil, you're doing that well. Your stance against heresy, he even says, he says, I know... Uh, You cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found, and are not, and found them to be false. Uh, John, Jesus, excuse me, is commending them for their effort in standing up against the heresy that was spreading throughout the church. False teaching, uh, no doubt, was creeping into this church, but the church in Ephesus lived this out. 1 John 4 1. Dear friends, Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have is from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. Now that was written in John's uh, day and age, but it's good for us too. Uh, You only need to go on YouTube for a little bit to find out how many heretical teachers there are. But listen, don't just take my word for it. Study the scripture. Scripture says that we're to study to show ourselves approved a workman who need not be ashamed but can rightly handle the word of God. It's a call for us. Just like they were commended for their stance against heresy, we need to be aware of what's being preached from this pulpit. The other day, I had somebody come up to me and they say they take notes uh, during the sermon uh, and they said, but when I go home, I check the references. No, no pressure, right? I, I mean, but that's healthy. If you're not doing that, then you're believing me for, for, for what I'm just saying. Listen, go home and read scripture. Take, take the verses I, I throw out to you and, and test them. See if what I'm saying is of the word of God. If it's not, then I need to get off and Ian can come preach. But then you'll test him too. But how do you combat against false teachers? Because there had to be some way that they knew the difference between a genuine teacher of the word of God and a false teacher. Well, some ways that we can stand against false teachers, you camp out in the word of God. Stay in the word of God. Know the word of God. Live there. Study it. Make your life all about the word of God. Listen to solid Bible teaching. 
don't just pull up people because the whole world knows about them, like Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick. Uh, don't just pull up these guys for the sake of pulling them up. Listen, you need to listen to solid Bible preaching. But test also what is being said. If it does not line up with the word of God, listen, it ain't true. He says, you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake. You haven't grown tired even when it's hard. Now, this to me is such a picture of grace because there were some things going wrong in the church and there was a major wrong in the church, but before Jesus gets to that rebuke, he starts with grace. He says, listen, you're doing this right. And my prayer for, for all of us this morning is that the Lord would commend you for the things that you're doing solidly. Maybe you're patiently enduring some, something that you're going through. Keep going. Maybe your works are solid. Listen, keep going. Maybe you're testing the false teachers. Keep going. But in all that, remember this, Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. But there's some correcting that needs to take place. In verse 4, I'm sure as the church in Ephesus heard this letter being written to them, they were like, we're doing all right, guys. Then comes verse 4. But I have this against you, and that's where you can hear everybody in the church gulp. Oh boy, Jesus has something against us. And this is what he had against them, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. That's the rebuke. The rebuke is that they've left their first love. All is not well in the church of Ephesus. While it had some positives, this was a major failing. They had left or abandoned or canceled the love that they had for Jesus. If there is no love for Jesus and we're doing everything that they were commended for, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. If there is no love for Jesus and what you do, no love for people and what you do, the works, the patient endurance, all that stuff, it really amounts to nothing if it's not done for Christ. And this wasn't just the love for God that was left behind. It was a love for people. The church in Ephesus failed scripturally, morally, and missionally. Do you remember what our first call is as believers? It's easy. Love God. Luke 10, 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God. Do you remember that conversation Jesus had he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, let's put the Ten Commandments first to the side for a minute. This is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then he says, and the second is, is greater. It's just as great. Love your neighbor as yourself. But this church had left their first love. The question I have for us this morning is, do you remember when you first came to Christ? 
You heard the gospel being preached or somebody was witnessing to you and they told you about how much God loves you, how much he sacrificed so he could buy you back from the slave market of, of sin, how, how he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven and have the assurance that when you die, you were going to heaven. Do you remember what it was like hearing those words for the very first time? You were a completely transformed person. It got you up in the morning. You couldn't wait to get up in the morning and and get into scripture. You couldn't wait to to pray with people. You couldn't wait to shine your light for Christ. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you couldn't wait to get to church because you wanted to be around God's people no matter how much they bug you? (laughs) Do you remember that? You couldn't wait This church left all that. They left their first love. Yes, they were doing works and they were praised for their works, but listen, they left their love for God. In the sense, they had left the command to love God and love people. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you are just like the church in Ephesus. You've left your first love. And all you're doing right now, if you are doing anything, is just a bunch of religious acts. You see, without a love for Jesus and your neighbor, everything you do only amounts to a religious checkoff list. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. Come back to Jesus. That's essentially what Jesus is telling the church in Ephesus. Listen, you've left, but I want you to come back. I want you to remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first heard the gospel, when you first heard that I could forgive you of your sins because not not anything you've done, but because of what I've done for you. I want you to come back to me. Now, uh, like I mentioned, Jesus doesn't just give a rebuke. He gives a solution to correct their failing. Verse 5. What's that first word? You've got your Bibles, right? Keep them open. Come on. Remember. All right, everybody say it now that you know. There you go. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What's the next R word? Repent. And he says, and do the works you did at first. Remember. Uh, Let's hang out there for a little bit. This is an ongoing reflection. Grant Osborne said this. He says, this is an important biblical concept that involves not just recalling the past, but acting on the memories and returning to your previous right walk with God. What did you do when you were first saved? Were you loving God and loving people? Were you getting up early in the morning just to open the word of God? Were you praying? Were you, were you remembering, remembering scripture? Were you memorizing it? Were you listening to sermon podcasts because you wanted to know Jesus more? What were you doing? Do you remember what you were doing? Remember uh, what was bringing you into that place of being absolutely on fire for the Lord? Here's the thing. Whatever you were doing that was putting you on the right track with God, do it again, is what uh, Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what you used to do and how you were so on fire for, for me. Listen, when you stop investing in the things that feed your spirit, you will start to see, no doubt, the nasty, fleshly side of you show up. 
When you stop reading the word of God, when you stop praying, when you stop going to church, when you stop doing those things that you love doing at first, I can guarantee you that the flesh will rear its ugly head more often than you would like it to. Remember from where you have fallen from. Remember the joy you have in Christ. Remember the freedom you have in Christ. Remember the peace and security that you have in Christ because all of those things that I had just mentioned are only found in Christ. The freedom, the joy, the peace, you won't find it anywhere else. So the call is to remember, but then the call is also to repent of what? Well, of whatever is dragging you further away from the Lord. And you know what that is. You, you know what is pulling you away from the Lord. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's something you're watching on TV. After you watch it, you just you have no interest in the things of the Lord. Maybe it's some, something you're uh, subscribed to. Maybe it's some, you fill in the blank. Whatever is dragging you away from the Lord, listen, it's not worth it. The question is, though, what is Repentance. By definition, uh, a certain commentator uh, defined it this way. It is the decision to change any or all of the elements composing one's life. Attitude, thoughts, and behaviors concerning the demands of God for right living. It's a decision. You have to decide to repent, to change the direction that you're going in. you're, you're walking away from the Lord, but he's calling you to repent. It's a decision to come back to Christ. Are there things in your life that are keeping you from loving Jesus and loving your neighbor? I think we make the mistake of this, that repentance is just a one-time act. I've mentioned this before, uh, that oftentimes when it comes to repentance, we view it as, well, I gave my life to Jesus, I repented of my sins, you know, and, and we know, hopefully we know what repentance is, but my favorite verse in all the Bible, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly, we end up going to do the very same thing that we did before we knew Christ. Just because we want a ticket out of hell. We think that, man, I'll just get my life right with God now, and then I'll just continue to do what I was doing before. It doesn't work like that. Repentance isn't just a one-time thing. Repentance is a daily decision to renounce evil, to say, I don't have time for that. It's a decision to stay away from evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. And it's a decision to follow Christ. It's saying, listen, the world has nothing to offer me. Matthew 4.19, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Listen, Jesus didn't say, follow the idea of me. Jesus didn't say, follow whatever you want about me. Jesus didn't say, follow other people's opinions and ideas of me. Jesus said, follow me. Are we doing that this morning? It means, I'm renouncing evil. I'm putting all the junk away. I'm I'm saying no to a sinful lifestyle. I'm repenting of a sinful lifestyle. Listen, if you are in sin this morning, this is your call to repent. This is your call to wake up and change your lifestyle, to let the Lord come in and transform you, to give you a, a, a craving for more of him. To remember, repent, and repeat. 
Jesus says, do the works you did at first. Uh, Now, this carries the idea that we are to do that which you were doing that brought you to a place where you realize this, I love Jesus and he's all I need. He's saying, do those things again. Uh, Do do them to to a point where, where the things of this world are unappealing. Do those works. Maybe it was reading a devotional. I remember a season in my life where... Uh, I was struggling in my walk with the Lord. I I couldn't figure out why I started on fire for the Lord and and then all of a sudden I just felt myself slipping away slowly and slowly. And for me personally, it it was getting to a Bible translation that I could actually understand. But listen, do those works. Whatever is going to help you in your walk and your understanding of Christ, do those things again. Do that which brings you closer to Jesus. Now, John says, uh, Jesus, excuse me, he says, if there is no repentance, uh, there's some consequences to not repenting. He says, if not, if you don't remember, repent and repeat, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember, Jesus is speaking or writing through John to the pastor of the church, and the pastor is verbally reading this message to his congregation. And while we can most assuredly apply this on an individual basis, Jesus is pointing at the church. He's saying, you do realize that if you don't repent, there are some serious consequences. Your effectiveness in your community will be removed. He's saying, if you do not repent, your lampstand, uh, I will rem- I'll remove it. Your effectiveness, I will close the church. I will consider you an apostate, one who has left the faith. It seems harsh, but listen, Jesus is serious about repentance. Church, listen, if we as a congregation are not walking in obedience to the things of the Lord, his ways, his commands, his will, his presence will depart from this place. Ichabod, if you're familiar with that word, it means the glory of the Lord has departed. See, we may continue as a church, or we may continue, excuse me, we may continue as an organization, but not as a church. If the presence of God, if the spirit of God, if, uh, if Jesus departs from this church, we are nothing more than just another nonprofit organization, but we are called to be the church. When a church departs from Jesus, when a church departs from the word of God, when a church departs from the foundational truths of the kingdom, when a church departs from loving God and loving people, listen, that church becomes ineffective, lacking the presence of Jesus, essentially uh, like I mentioned, becoming nothing more than a nonprofit organization. Now, for the individual, essentially, this can be summed up as backsliding. See, for the church, they had left their first love, but let's apply it to our lives. Backsliding is indeed, in fact, when we have uh, decided to leave the things of the Lord in another place and go after something 
that has no weight when it comes, in, comes to eternity. Listen, if you are in a backslidden state today, if, if you were walking with the Lord uh, at one point in your life and, and, and you're in a dark season right now of sin because you're choosing to sin, listen, my encouragement to you is this, get right with the Lord. Remember, repent, repeat, get back to loving Jesus. Listen, my prayer is that the glory of the Lord in this church would never cease to leave this place. When, when people come in, before they even talk to any of us, uh, my prayer is that they would get just a sense of something different in here. And not because of, of us, but because the Lord has marked this place as his own. Listen, I want to, us to be a church that, uh, that is so serious about our walks with Jesus, that we don't just come to church on Sunday and we've got our church hats on and then as soon as we get in the car, we're cutting people off on the freeway and honking our horns. And <laughs> Listen, we're called to be the church and we're called to live out our faith and show our love for Christ and our neighbor, not just on one Sunday, but from Sunday to Sunday. And Jesus closes with this. He said, commending them again, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, you might have the question, who are, who's this group? Who were the Nicolaitans? Uh, we really don't know. We're not for certain when it comes to this group, but what we do know is this, based of, off of what Jesus said, is that the works that th- this group was doing uh, it was detestable. It, it, it was wicked. It was dark. And Jesus says, I hate their works. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought God was a God of love. He is. But let me tell you something. God hates sin. Jesus hated the works of this group. And so here, Jesus complimented them one last time. And he's essentially saying, you hate what I hate. The question for us this morning is, can he say the same about us? Do we hate what the Lord hates? When it comes to sin, we should despise sin. Love the sinner? Yes, absolutely. Hate the sin? Yes, absolutely. See, we learn that God, the God of love hates sin and how he wants his people to also hate sin. Verse seven, he who has an ear, y'all got one of those? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the who? Not just the church in Ephesus, not just the church in Smyrna, not just the church in Pergamum or Thyatira or Philadelphia or Laodicea, but to the churches. Are we a church? This letter is for us. The remembering, the repenting, the repeating was not just for Ephesus. It's for Gray Avenue Christian Church. Listen, if you have an ear, Jesus is saying, if you have an ear, let him intently listen to what the Spirit is saying. Let me ask you a question. Are you tuned in this morning? Maybe some of us look at Sunday mornings as a time to catch up on some sleep. Not that time. After church naps, I can tell you this, they are the best. 
okay? Listen, <laughs> amen, yeah. Listen, he says, if you have an ear, listen. Listen intently to what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen intently to what the Spirit says to you. I love how he closes. He says, to the one who conquers, I will grant the tree of life. You remember where we first saw the tree of life? Genesis, right? Where we were first introduced to it, the tree of life was uh, uh, given that we might have eternal life, right? Uh, A difference between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but God removed that tree, right? And so uh, now the only way for us to have eternal life is to go to Christ. But he says this, he ultimately points, he, he brings up the tree of life because this, these churches would have been familiar with it just as much as we are, but he's not so much talking about a physical tree as much as he's talking about what this tree uh, symbolizes. Remember, there's a lot of symbolic meaning within the book of Revelation, and he's saying this, he's saying, I, I promise you, to the one who conquers, I will grant eternal life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who overcomes the deserting of their first love. To the one who comes back to Christ. To the one who overcomes their lovelessness for God and for people. To the one who overcomes a backslidden spiritual state. Listen, I will give you the tree of life. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll keep keep my commandments. Do you remember what he said after that? He says his commandments are not burdensome. See, listen, loving him with all that you are, is the best thing for you. There's nothing else. Love Jesus and love people. Listen, the amazing thing is, is when you start loving Jesus with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, listen, that'll trickle out to everyone else. Even the people that rub you wrong. If you keep the command, Jesus promises us restoration, redemption, and eternal life. So, if you have ears this morning, which looks like everybody does, listen. Listen to the Spirit. As we continue through the book of Revelation, listen to what the Lord might have for you. Don't tune out. Don't bring your pillow, although Mark has a pillow behind him right now. Um, You don't have it anymore, do you? (laughs) Listen, tune in, okay? Jesus has a word for all of us as we continue going through the book of Revelation. Um, next week, um, actually, we are going to hear from Tyrone. Um, everybody knows Tyrone. Everybody loves Tyrone. So um, be praying for him, definitely. And uh, in case you're wondering why I'm not, I'm going to a conference this week, so uh, my study time will be a slightly interrupted, but for good cause. Um, so... Uh, Let's all stand. We'll close out in a word of prayer. Listen, if you need to come back to Jesus or if you need to come to Jesus for the first time, whether that be in-house or watching on the live stream, listen, don't put it off. Come to Jesus today. Know that when you do, he will forgive you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. Um, I'm gonna close with this. I know I said close three times. I did a wedding yesterday for a couple that many of you may know, Jordan and Jasmine, and uh, what they had decided to do in their wedding was to take communion and tie a threefold cord. 
uh, beautiful wedding. It was just a, a, a great uh, ceremony. See, I, I know them a, a little bit, and I know, and they would attest to this, that, uh, that their past has been rough. But listen, one of the things that I wanted to assure them yesterday is that because their faith is in Christ, no matter how messed up their past is, they are 100% forgiven because of what Jesus has done for them. Listen, and the same can be true for you today. I know many of you are believers, but I just get this sense that there may be somebody watching online that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. Please, don't put it off. Listen, come to Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to come to this place freely. Being able to open your word and knowing that as we open it, you'll speak to us, Lord. It's such a, a privilege for us that oftentimes we take for granted. Lord, for all of us in this room, we have no idea what persecution is like. Lord, we know that there are other brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted for their faith because of their faith in you. And Lord, we pray for them. God, we pray for the persecuted church and ask that you would defend them that you would give them strength, that you would give them boldness, that you would give them courage and zeal, God, that you would help them to, to be bold when it comes to testifying about their Lord and Savior. And Lord, for us, for when that persecution does come, Lord, help us to be a people that are ready, not afraid, not timid, but bold because of who we know and where we're going. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone in here this morning that may be identified as the church in Ephesus. Maybe they've left their first love, and you're calling them back home. You're calling them back to, to the love that they left, not lost, but left. Lord, bring them back. By your Holy Spirit, bring them back. Show them their need for you. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for us. Lord, use us for your glory and your purposes. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.